Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Well, so I was at Baptist Manor this week. Uh, They have chapel services out there, and... um, I went out there to visit with them for a chapel service. They have a chaplain out there who is a former pastor. His name is Gene Turkett. And he uh, leads them in some worship. They sing some hymns out there. And then uh, he gives them uh, a, a gospel message. And, and then he actually gives an invitation uh, to them out at Baptist Manor. And so I was out there uh, one day this week for one of their chapel services and and uh, stayed through the service. And when it was over, uh, Brother Gene came over and stood beside me. And I was telling him how much I appreciated what he was doing out there at Baptist Manor and how much I appreciated his message. And uh, people were coming by and shaking hands with him and saying, Gene, uh, Brother Gene, I really enjoyed that message. I appreciate it. And they'd walk by. Well, here comes this guy with a walker, right? He's a tall guy. He's got his hair slicked back in a 1950s and 60s fashion. Looked like it had a fair mix of uh, brill cream or something of that sort in it. And he came walking up and he shook hands with Gene. He told him how much he appreciated his, his message. And then he looked at me. And he looked at my hair. And he looked down to the floor. He says, you know, every morning there's a fella from, that works here. comes by and picks me up and gets me out of bed. And he says, I get up out of the bed and I put my clothes on. He said, I start out the door and the guy says, now you know that you've got to comb your hair before you leave your room every morning. And then he looked at me and he said, I can see that you don't get that advice every morning. (laughs) I like my hair. You know, some people are just dying to say things and they ought not to say them. Do you know that? Do you know that? Uh, I can say that because I'm the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, My Sunday school class, uh, my teacher, Mr. Dennis Brightman, will let you know that. I'm constantly in there saying stuff that kind of just messes up everything. I apologize to you, uh, uh, Mr. Brightman. Jeremiah's text today, Jeremiah chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, is a passage where Jeremiah is dying to say something. And he is, he is at a point in his life where he is, uh, he's, he's ready to uh, chunk the ministry. Things have not gone well for him, and he is ready to, to uh, in fact, he says, he says, I, I'm ready to stop preaching. I'm ready to stop talking. But he said when he would say, I'm not going to speak anymore. He said, God's word in me rises up like a fire shut up in my bones and I cannot keep it in. We're in a season of revival called fire under the tower. I know that many of you are experiencing the revival that God is bringing. I'm not so naive as to think that everybody is experiencing it, but I know that some of you are. Some of you have already begun to experience a life change. I didn't do it. 
uh, Matt, Chris, Virginia didn't do it. Jonathan Wood didn't do it. God is doing it in you. And uh, for some of us, it's coming as a very painful experience. At least that's how it's beginning. But I find that uh, when God moves, that is more often than not the ground from which God brings revival, the ground of crisis, the ground of pain, the ground of uh, some sort of adversity. And that is the ground from which we see uh, Jeremiah today. Uh, Throughout these Sunday mornings during this season of revival, I'm preaching from passages that that have within them the concept of fire. And the fire that is in this passage is a fire that is deep in Jeremiah's bones that he cannot hold in. So I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 20 in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to give you again my definition for revival. How do you know you've experienced revival? Here it is. Revival... True revival is the visible moving of God among a certain group of people in a specific place for an indefinite period of time changing the lives of those people. That's what real revival is. If God is not visibly moving, there has been no revival. Even if God is visibly moving, if people's lives uh, go unchanged, there has been no revival. Revival includes those two very... Uh, uh, essential elements, the visible moving of God. Now, God is always moving. It's just that most of the time we don't see his movement, but revival occurs when we actually see God moving in people. We see his impact on people. And then the other essential is that our lives are changed when true revival comes to church. And it's been my prayer throughout this season of revival that true revival will come to our church, will come to you. And I believe that is taking place. It was taking place with Jeremiah. Uh, But it came at a very unexpected time. He preached a message, uh, the bulk of of which is is in Jeremiah chapter 19. We're going to read chapter 20. The bulk of his message was in chapter 19, and it can be summarized in one single verse, which is verse 15 of chapter 19, where he says, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring this city and on all the villages around it, every disaster I pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. Now, that's not an easy message to take if you're in the audience, if you're in the congregation. And so the people, rather than listening to Jeremiah's message, they put him in prison chained him to stocks for the message that he preached. Now look with me to Jeremiah chapter 20. We begin reading with verse number 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. 
I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. I've got to admit something to you all this morning. Uh, I really don't like to admit it, but I need to admit it. There are days when I just feel like saying, Lord, I'm done. I'm toast. I'm out of here. It happened 463 times just this past week. I have quit the ministry. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I have quit the ministry 147,323 times. It happens every Monday. And it happens every quarterly conference. I don't know what it is about that. But I can't tell you the number of times I've just gotten up on a Monday morning and I said, God, I'm done. If you can't let me quit, at least get me another church somewhere out in the middle of the woods where there's only about 25 people and nobody ever is going to die and I don't have to worry about any trouble coming in and we can just kind of live happily ever after. And God says, well, there ain't one of those. Did you know God uses the word ain't? I didn't know he used the word ain't. There ain't one of those. There are times when I just want to quit. You ever feel like you want to quit? You ever feel like you just want to check out? You ever feel like you just don't want to be around anybody anymore? You ever feel like no matter how hard you try, no matter how many scripture verses you read, no matter how many prayers you pray, no matter how many times you attend Sunday school or worship, no matter how much you try to lead your family in a way that is right, It seems like nothing goes right, and so you just say, man, I'm done with this stuff. I'm done. Well, that was Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a hard book to read. I don't know if you've tried to read it. It's very difficult to read, mainly because he doesn't write in chronological order. His, His book is a mess. It's like a forest fire that goes in all kinds of different directions. It is hard to read. Scholars who have studied and picked apart the book of Jeremiah, they're unable to agree on what happens first and then what happens and then what happens. The chronology of Jeremiah is beyond the grasp of even the brightest Old Testament scholars. Why didn't he write it in chronological order? Well, I went here. And I said that. And then I went here and I said this. And then I went over here and I ate that. That would be nice. We work kind of in a chronological timeline. Not Jeremiah. His ministry was a mess. His life was a mess. And about the only thing that we can glean from Jeremiah is that in all of his messed up chaos, non-chronological writing, he never had anybody to respond when he got through preaching. He never had anybody come forward. When they sang Just As I Am, the altar was never never, uh, inhabited by a single solitary soul. 
And he preached this way for 50 years. Now, folks, I've just been doing this about 30 years, and I can tell you that if by this time, every time I had preached, nobody ever, ever responded, nobody ever got saved, nobody ever got right, nobody ever joined the church, nobody ever uh, shook a hand, nobody ever moved, I'd be, I'd be making hamburgers at McDonald's. Hamburgers at McDonald's can't be as bad as serving God is sometimes. Can't be. Jeremiah preached 50 years and not a soul ever came. And and, and granted, part of it was because God gave him a message that nobody wanted to hear. Now, I, I'm, in a, I'm at a, a, a much better place than Jeremiah because every now and then God gives me something that you folks actually like to hear. I mean, once a year. He never gave Jeremiah any message that the people wanted to hear. And so naturally, they didn't respond very well. They didn't accept what he had to say. And, and, and not only did they not accept it, but they reacted violently. They put him in prison because he said that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were going to overthrow this city of Jerusalem. And so we find Jeremiah in a very, very bad place. The passage of Scripture here begins with a complaint. A complaint. Now, here's God's man. He's got God's word in his heart. He has a relationship with God that he does tell us about in Jeremiah chapter 1. And yet, nothing has worked for him. And so, we find him leading off this passage of Scripture with a complaint. Now, I want you to look at it. And and the first thing that I want you to get from this passage is, is simply this, that sometimes we get disappointed. Jeremiah was disappointed. And like Jeremiah, sometimes we get disappointed. Now, look at verse 7. Look at who he first is disappointed with. He says in verse 7, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everybody mocks me when I speak. That is, when I speak your word, Lord. I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction But your word has brought me insult and reproach all day long. May I say this? Are you going to let me say it? Jeremiah was disappointed with God. You ever been disappointed with God? You folks always get really quiet when I ask you a question like that. Do you ever get disappointed with God? Oh, no. With God? No. With my kids, oh yeah. With my preacher, oh yeah. With God, no. Because everybody's afraid God's going to strike them with lightning bolt. Let me just go ahead, and nobody's standing beside me, so there's no fear of you getting struck. Let me just go ahead and say it. There have been many times I've been disappointed with God. There have been times when I wish God had done something a different way, and he did not. There have been times when I wish God had not allowed something to happen that he did. And it disappointed me. And when I am disappointed with God, and I try to communicate that to some folks, which I rarely do, because I I, I really like my job. When I am disappointed with Him and I communicate with folks, I get really, 
Can I say I get irritated when they start saying, well, now, Brother Jimmy, you know you should never be disappointed with God. (laughs) No, I really am sometimes. I really am sometimes. David Wilkerson, who was killed last April in a car accident, he was the founding pastor of Times Square Church. He wrote that Christian classic, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. He made this statement one time he said, he said, I knew a minister friend of mine who came to me and said, said, Brother David, I feel so defeated. I was faithful to do everything God asked of me. But when I stepped out in faith, God left me hanging out to dry. I know that feeling. Many of you know that feeling. Many more of you know it than are willing to admit it. Sometimes we can be disappointed with God. Jeremiah was disappointed. Sometimes we can be disappointed just like him. But he wasn't only disappointed with God. He was disappointed with his people. Now we're talking realistic here. I was in the real estate business for about 20 months. I didn't make any money. The person I was working for came up to me and she said, Now, Jimmy, she was a great lady, Betty Hudson, up in... uh, coming in Canton, Georgia, great real estate broker. She came to me, she said, now, Jimmy, I want you to understand something right off the bat. The real estate business is a great business if it weren't for people. And I see Betty occasionally on Facebook or when I go up to preach a uh, campground revival and I go up to her and I said, Betty, you know, the ministry (laughs) is a great thing. If it weren't for people, people like me, we people are hard to deal with. And let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. I don't care how wonderful you are. I don't care how godly you are. At some point, you will disappoint somebody. You will. If you think that you have a friend who will never disappoint you, by all means, don't get too close to them. Stay about three miles away from them at all times. Only talk to them through text message and cell phone, but never get close to them. Because if you get close enough to them, you will see that they will disappoint you. Jeremiah says this, he says in verse 10, he says, I hear many people whispering, terror on every side, denounce him, let's denounce him. He was saying that they were, ta- they were saying, let's denounce that old Jeremiah. And then he said this, this is, this is earth shaking. All my friends, he's not talking about his enemies here. He says, all my friends are waiting for me to slip. And here's what my friends are saying. Perhaps he will be deceived and then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Jeremiah was disappointed with God. He was disappointed with people and Jeremiah was disappointed with himself. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is, is uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. We don't have this on the slide, but listen to his heart. Listen to this. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I could weep day and night for the slain of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for travelers so that I might leave my people and go away from them for they are all adulterers, a crowd of unfaithful people. Jeremiah was bewailing the fact that he'd been a failure. 
in trying to get his people, his own people, even his own family and friends to turn from the disaster they were heading full throttle toward. He felt like a failure. He was disappointed in God. He was disappointed with people and he was disappointed with himself. Like Jeremiah, sometimes we can become disappointed. Secondly, like Jeremiah, sometimes we just want to give up. If you look down further in that uh, chapter, Jeremiah really gets down on himself. He says this in verse 14. He said, Cursed be the day that I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of her womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? I'm toast. He says, stick a fork in me. I'm done. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you can't help as you read these words, but to go back to Job chapter 3. You remember Job. Everything in his life had fallen apart. His children gone. His uh, occupation gone. His flocks gone. His health gone. And he's sitting in a big old pile of ashes. And he's using broken pottery, pottery to scrape the scabs off of his sores that covered his body. And his friends came up. Three friends. They couldn't recognize him at first. One of the best things they ever did was once they did recognize him, they, they, they built their own uh, little hills of ashes. And they tore their own clothes, and they sat around him for seven full days, not saying a single word to him, just being with him. And then, in Job chapter 3, Job says, and this sounds, does this sound just like Jeremiah? He said, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, After this, Job opened his mouth, and he cursed the day he was born. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived... May that day, may it be turned to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. Why did I not perish at birth and die when I came out from my mother's womb? What's he saying? I'm toast. I'm done. I remember Elijah after he'd had that great victory against the prophets of Baal. We talked about it a few weeks ago, where he alone stood and he, he built the altar of God and four, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah built this big uh, altar to their, their false gods and they both prayed for fire to come down. And the, the total 900 and, uh, or 850 prophets of Asherah and Baal, they, they, they prayed and they begged and they screamed and they cut themselves and, and they hollered around and, and, and all kinds of crazy things and no answer. And finally, Elijah prayed that God would rain down fire on his altar and God rained down fire and it, and it soaked up all the, the three delivery uh, barrels of water that had been poured around the altar and it burned up the altar and it, and it, and it, it chewed up the wood. 
And you'd think that in the aftermath of that, Elijah would be hailing victory, victory. But the next thing you know, Ahab's wife Jezebel has put a contract out on Elijah. She says, I'm going to kill you before nightfall. I'm going to make you just like every one of these prophets of Baal that you have killed. The Bible says, 1 Kings 19, that Elijah ran off, way off by himself. He sat down in the desert and he laid down and he said, God, I wish you'd just kill me. Just kill me. Just kill me. I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. You see, like Jeremiah and Elijah, sometimes we get disappointed by God, by people, by ourselves. Like Jeremiah and Elijah, sometimes we just want to give up on life and give up on God because of our disappointment. The final thing I think we need to see in this passage of Scripture is that like Jeremiah, God is not through with us. He's not through with you. He's not through with your situation. I don't care how hopeless it may look. I don't care how dark your night may be. I don't care how how impossible the solution may appear. God is not through working with you. In the middle of your disappointment, never, ever give up. In the middle of your darkness, never, ever close your eyes to the light. In the middle of your struggle, never, ever for the minute believe the lie from the enemy that you are toast. God was not through with Jeremiah. God had given him something that had to be shared. It was a testimony. It was a calling. And Jeremiah says, right at the time when I say, I'm not going to speak your word anymore. He said, God's word rises up in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. He says, I can't sit there and not say something. I really have, at times, usually on a Monday, or at quarterly conference, seriously thought about, Quitting. And there was about a 20 month, 20 month period in my life where I did quit. For 20 months, I was done. And it seemed like, it seemed like, God kept saying to me, it seemed like He kept saying to me, Jimmy, Go back to that first Sunday night in August 1968. When you gave your life to me and I came into your heart, are you willing to throw that away? And I just couldn't do it. And I remember that that day in May when I was driving home that hour-long trip, hour and ten-minute trip from the University of Georgia in Athens all the way back home, and I knew in my heart that God was calling me to the ministry, and I hated every ounce of it. I did not want it. I fought it with every fiber of my being. It was a traumatic experience for me. I mean, I lost it when I got home, and when I shared with my parents and with my family what God was calling me to do, I thought, my goodness, this girl that I'm dating, Amanda McPherson, she is not about to marry a preacher. I'm going to lose her. 
So I drove out to her house and I sat there and what should have been a five-minute conversation took me three hours to explain to her. That was when she really questioned whether or not I ought to be a preacher. When it took me three hours to say what I should have said in five minutes, that really got her. And during that time when I was about to quit, God said, you want to throw that away? You remember that experience? And I couldn't forget it. It's one of the landmark watershed experiences in my life. And God says, you want to throw that away? And I couldn't. I couldn't throw it away. Do you have an experience with God that you can't throw away no matter how disappointed you are? Do you have a salvation experience where you know that you invited Christ into your life that you literally cannot throw away? Do you have some landmark event in your life when you know that God touched you, you know that God spoke to you, you know that God moved upon you? Maybe you were already a Christian, but it was that special time when you know God touched you and called you to some kind of ministry and you can't throw it away no matter how dark your night may be. You see, when... Revival comes to church. Nothing remains the same. People get stirred up. Sin gets exposed. Lives get right. In some cases, marriages get healed. God is validated. But enemies rise up. Lives are changed. And, and, and people are broken. When was the last time that God broke you? Jeremiah was broken. You know what this place is? You know what Palmetto Baptist Church is? It's a place for the healing of the broken. Barry Bailey wrote a small book called Reliving the Past, and he said this, he says, everyone has a breaking point. Do not kid yourself. Everyone. Push any one of us far enough, and we go over the brink. There's no way you can stand. You can only stand so much light, so much noise, so much pressure, so much humiliation, so much pain. No one can stand it forever. Everybody, he says, has a breaking point. I just hope that when you get close to yours and I get close to mine, that somebody reaches out and pulls us back You will go on and get there, but someone is there with you. The person holds on to you. The person stays with you when you break. Sometimes life disappoints us. Sometimes we get ready to throw in the towel for good. But remember this, I don't care where you are, how bad it may be, God is not through with you, and He's not through with your life. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. Refuse to let it go. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I'd be totally dishonest with you, and you know it, if I said that there weren't times when I've been disappointed. 
I'm not saying I'm right in it. I'm just stating the fact. I've been disappointed more with myself than anything. I've been disappointed by people. I've been disappointed by what I thought you would do or should do and you didn't. And there have been times, Lord, and you know this, there's no point in me hiding it when I've wanted to quit. But you kept saying, Jimmy, you got more road to go. And you're saying to us, calling our names, and you know, you, you have more road to travel. You have more goals to accomplish. You have more in store for you that I have planned for you. So God, I pray that you'd help us to hear your wonderful, encouraging, comforting, motivating voice. Lord, I pray for someone in this building who has never received you as their Savior and Lord. Somebody here, Lord, needs to come forward and say, I, I don't know how to do this, but I, need, I know I need Jesus in my heart. I need Him to save me. Lord, somebody here is saved, but they need to take some concern in their heart just to the altar and just lay it there. They don't have to tell me about it. There's somebody here who needs to join this church. They don't have a local church. Lord, I don't know all the hearts of these people. But God, you do. Your Holy Spirit is moving in this place. Lord, fan into flame the fire that is in our bones. It was placed there by you. In Jesus' name. Amen.